the kingdom of God. We started this new uh, collection of talks, this new series a few week, uh, two weeks ago. We had Mother's Day gracefully interrupt us and uh, we just thankfully interrupt us and now we're, we're back on to the kingdom of God. And uh, if you uh, miss part one, uh, you can catch up online and all the places you can catch up, YouTube, podcast. I would encourage you to catch up because each week is connected and I'll try to give you enough of a recap that you feel like you're in on it. But to say that I could do what I did in 30 minutes last time in five minutes and you get it, because most people after 30 minutes were like, what? Uh, um, would just, is just not true. But I'll hopefully give you enough to help you keep going on the journey today, but definitely catch up if you've missed it. Um, and the, we've been talking about um, the kingdom of God because in Matthew 4.23, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It goes on to say he went all over the place. And what we can see is he went throughout all of Israel proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom and revealing the kingdom to people through healing and his miracles. And what we've been looking at is if this is what Jesus, like the kingdom of God is what Jesus spent his whole life talking about. It was his life message. It was the one thing he talked about. It was all he talked about. Almost every single bit of dialogue we have recorded from Jesus. He's going, the kingdom of God's like this, or it's like this, or it's like that. And he's trying to help us imagine it and grasp this thing that isn't of this world, but has everything to do with this world. And uh, this crazy thing, he never defines it, but he's helping us imagine it the whole time. And then later on in, in the rest of the New Testament, they'll talk about the good news or the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. And that's talking about the same thing. It's like Christ is the king of his kingdom and he came to bring in the kingdom. He came to usher in the kingdom. He came to inaugurate the kingdom through his death, burial and resurrection. And I just think in church, we don't talk enough about the kingdom. I think when, I, when we ask people, the way we talk about the kingdom only reveals we don't really understand the kingdom. And so I wanted us to go on this journey that is going to be a long journey, I think, because every week I keep like studying and then I create four more weeks and then I create another and there's another four more weeks. So, but that's okay. We'll go on this journey for a while. It'll be fun. The kingdom of God, we said last week, is like Jesus' way of helping us learn to fly right side up in this world. That we can be flying upside down without even realizing it. And the kingdom of God is God's way of helping us see what is right side up. Or if you're a Matrix fan, the kingdom of God is the way of taking the red pill and seeing what lies beneath the veneer of everything else. Or if you're a Narnia fan, it's the way of stepping through the wardrobe. That's what Jesus is trying to get when he gets us to imagine the kingdom of God. And I love that that Jesus doesn't define it. That's so like non-Western of him. It's like, what do you mean he did? He spoke about it his whole life, but never once gave a definition. He's just like, it's like a tree and it's like a seed and it's like a man who goes on a journey and it's like a son who comes back home from a journey and it's like a vineyard owner who pays his staff in really weird ways and, and he, he just does all of these like things to help us try and grasp this thing of the kingdom of God but we tried to define it because we're Western, we need definitions, we need something so we tried our best and we came up with this definition that the kingdom of God is the realm of God's effective will. 
It's where what he says happens. It's where what he says goes. It's, it's the place where, where, where his will is actually enacted in this world. And uh, I've come up, I've, there's other things we could say. We could say like the kingdom of God is God in action in our time. Or we could say it's God's rule available to anyone, anywhere, now. This is this kingdom of God. And it's super important because many of the problems we face, actually the solution is the kingdom of God. You know, worry and anxiety is a massive issue in our world. And we've all suffered to differing degrees. And even our, one of our sons was like, you know, it's impossible not to worry in this day and age. I was like, no, 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 son. It is possible to have peace through the kingdom of God. And sometimes we pray for worry to go off people and we pray for anxiety to go off people. But it's interesting that Jesus said in, in response to stop worrying about everything in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's like, no, no, the way to stop worry is to seek first the kingdom of God. So next time someone asks you to pray for anxiety, you should ask, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Because that's actually the way. And then we'll pray. So the kingdom of God matters. Jesus actually said, when he was teaching us to pray, he said, pray that his kingdom would come. And then he says that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's describing what kingdom coming looks like. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. It's like it's one prayer with an explanation. Pray that your kingdom would come. What do I mean by that? That God's will would be done on earth. That's what kingdom coming looks like when the realm of God's effective rule extends through our lives and our world around us. And so we began to discuss these things and we left pretty confused and that was sort of the goal. That we might realize the things we don't know so that we might turn to the scriptures and begin searching them out. And we might begin in our small groups going, what does this mean? And start wrestling with these things over coffee. That's the whole point. And so today for our part two, I don't want to talk about what is the kingdom of God, although we could do that for many, many more weeks. But I, I gave you books that you could read and I'll show them at the end. But um, I want to talk about why is it good news? Why is the kingdom of God good news? Because it says he proclaimed the good news. The gospel means good news. The good news of the kingdom of God. Why is the kingdom of God good news? And what the heck is good news? I mean, if you've been around church for more than a month, some of you aren't quite there yet. That's okay. We love it. But you've heard this term good news, and you've probably never heard the term explained. And so my goal tonight is to talk, today is to talk about why this good news matters. If you care about the Bible, um, you could trace the idea of good news back to Isaiah. It's like a great place to look. That's where this theme of good news begins. And it begins in like a really important historical context because Israel under King David started to look a little bit like the kingdom of God on earth. It, was, it had its territory, it was secure, people were very prosperous, it was quite equitable, people were doing well, there was a great sense of justice, there was safety, there was crazy worship, and there was like, it was a very spiritually rich and prosperous time in the nation of Israel, and they thought, the kingdom's starting to become our kingdom. But then over the next couple of hundred years, it 
sort of decayed and injustice rose up and worship dissipated and idols became popular and these things sort of started to become confusing such to the point that their kingdom was began was beginning to be overthrown by other kingdoms and they started wondering what the heck we thought the kingdom of God was coming to earth through our kingdom but now it looks like it's being all taken away And there's these beautiful prophecies in the book of Isaiah where it pictures like a watchman standing on the walls of the city, looking out, wondering where has it all gone wrong. And in Isaiah 52.7, it says, Isaiah 52.7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, and who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And and Isaiah began to prophesy about a time coming where the good news of God's reign, his kingdom on earth, coming to earth, would come in the future. And there's multiple references if you read, and that's why he prophesies so much about Jesus and his coming kingdom. And uh, that's where the idea of good news traces back in the Bible. But if we're wanting a simpler explanation, uh, we could just see that the world is, so, is full of so-called good news. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but the world is full of so-called good news, and it's actually told to us in different forms every day. What good news is trying to do is it's trying to define what is blessed or what is human flourishing in this world and to show you how to get it. That's what good news is trying to do, trying to define what is blessed, what is human flourishing, and show you how to get it. And depending on what the good news is that you buy into, it says something about what we think the barriers or the problems are that lead to humans not flourishing or being blessed. So good news really matters. If you read the Psalms, this is like the whole point of the book of Psalms, is it's trying to define what is truly blessed as God sees it. What is human flourishing? And so this idea, and so in our world, it's full of all of these good news. And these good news, what is blessed? What is human flourishing? And we can, we can begin looking at some of them like secularism. Hopefully some of these will come up on the screen. Secularism it, um, says that the barrier to human flourishing is religion. And if we can get religion out of government and out of education and out of every corner of society as possible, we will flourish. That's what secularism says. That secularism is what we're brought up into. What we, what we, it's the air we breathe of the common way of thinking in our world that religion is the problem of what's causing a lack of human flourishing. And if we could just get rid of it, we would flourish better. You got the good news of veganism? I don't have this one on the screen. If we all just stopped killing animals, the world would be such a better place. We got the good news according to the eco-warriors. We got some of you, just like the vegans out there. You know, if we could all just if we could all just take better care of the planet, then humans would flourish. If we could just do that, if we could all recycle our whatevers and or not use things that we need to recycle. Anyway, we don't need to go into it. I'm going down a tangent. Um, the good news of socialism. 
The barrier to human flourishing is the disproportionate distribution of resources. So if we can take, uh, take more from those that have more and give it to those who have less, everyone will flourish. They tried this. Good theory, like all good theories. Good theory didn't work in reality, just so you know. And just so you don't try to put me in a box, capitalism. <laughs> the barrier to human flourishing is the government being involved in business and in the market. And if the market was truly free, then people would be motivated and able to flourish if they want. And we've also tried this to the excess in different seasons without any restrictions. And it too sounds good in theory, but doesn't work. We can go the, the gospel, the good news of materialism. The barrier to human flourishing is that you don't have enough things. So if you can spend more money and get more debt and have more stuff, you will flourish. It's just one more purchase away. I mean, when you put it up like that, it sounds so stupid, doesn't it? But we buy into this gospel all of the time. Many of us are in debt that we shouldn't be in because we believe the good news of this gospel. On a sad day, we believed that spending some money would create some flourishing. Or looking over at our neighbor, we believe that having a little bit of what they have would create some flourishing. Then we've got postmodernism, which we can experience as critical theory in our world, or the social justice movement, not to be confused with actual social justice which surfaces in things like radical feminism movement, queer theory, decolonization, and white privilege are all sort of hot words that trace back to this thought. It says that the barrier to human flourishing is the idea that there's any objective truth, and therefore the prevalent discourses that shape our understanding of the world, um, if these can be torn apart and our own experiences be the determiner of what's true and right, then we will flourish. I mean, I could do about 10 messages about this, but I won't bore you. Um, this is the gospel according to now. And even this morning, reading articles about the wanting to bring this whole thought into our school system and our education system is already there to huge extents around gender issues, but trying to bring it in around race issues and different things. Um, it's a, once again, it's a theory. It sounds so good on paper but in the few microcosms where it's actually been enacted, like in different universities in the States, it turns into absolute tyranny and totalitarianism because you can't argue with somebody, you know, we can't discuss anything in this way of thinking because somebody's always right. And then we go to the good news, according to self-expression, any label and any definition and any control or restriction of my life is the barrier to my flourishing. And the good news is if we can all just break out of these rigid things and live how we want, we will flourish. These are some of the many good newses that turn up on our social media feeds in little quotes and little reflections with little hot words that if we are not attuned to, they're trying to sell us a picture of what is the blessed life of what is human flourishing, of therefore what is the barriers to human flourishing and how can you get in on this good news?
and they have huge advocates and they have big momentum. And some of them are like the air we breathe and some of them are like just brewing in the undercurrents and starting to get momentum in our world. But these help us understand why when Jesus comes and says the good news of the kingdom of God, he's coming against all these other good newses. I know newses isn't a word, okay? Uh, all these other good newses. And, um, and, and he's coming against those and going, no, no, as the creator, I know what truly blessed humanity is. And I know what the true barrier to it is. And you might be sitting thinking here that because you're a Christian, that you believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. But I find when I talk to people and in my own journey of having to figure these things out, that many of us believe in parts of the kingdom of God, but have actually bought into other types of gospels too, just with the name Jesus on top of them. Like we're brought into the good news of eternal life. The good news of fire insurance. It's normally preached as a gospel of fear where somebody gets up on a stage like this and says, do you know where you're going if you die tonight? It doesn't aim to make followers or disciples of Jesus, just people who have said a prayer and so will be fined when the end comes. If you've ever talked with somebody like, I don't need to do the Jesus thing now, I'll just do it before I die. It's because they think the gospel according to Jesus is the gospel of eternal life. Not the gospel of discipleship now in the ways of life. Or we could go, the good news, you'd be like, that's not me. I, maybe that's how, I reckon probably through, maybe at least a third of the people in this room, that's probably how you came to Jesus, was through the gospel of eternal life. The good news of blessing. God is a genie, and if you, rub him, if you rub him with enough faith, you get everything you need. Health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not concerned with following Jesus either, or becoming like him, or self-sacrifice. It's only obsessed with more. It's like when Christianity, selfishness, and materialism get together and have a baby. <laughs> it's why it is a popular good news for Christians in our time of materialism. And then we've got the good news of making an angry God happy. If you came up in probably a more conservative version of church or something a little bit like religious in the wrong sense, it may be a version of this. God's upset with you. You've let him down. You've all round disappointed him. He's all round disgusted by you. But if you love him enough and serve him enough, then he will accept you. If you just do enough for him, it makes followers, but it doesn't make people who live from grace. Maybe you could get free of that today. And then you got the good news of social justice. Social justice, Jesus, quite a popular Jesus too. Uh, we are here to bring heaven to earth. And if only we can get right all of the wrong in this world, then we can flourish. We major on the works of Jesus without the presence of Jesus. We're all about doing things for Jesus, but we don't know how to be with Jesus generally. The good news of social justice. And then we've got the good news of political Jesus. Not as popular in New Zealand, but definitely popular. Huge in America, political Jesus. Um, if we can conform society to shape itself after our Christian selective values, 
we will all flourish. I mean, we can tolerate greed, but not other things, right? It's the same mistake Israel made. It doesn't work because it doesn't get people's hearts. It doesn't understand the church as the fringe. And the church is the subversive force, not the oppressive force in our world. And like all of these things, they take an element of the good news of the kingdom of God, a major on that, but without the overall picture of the kingdom of God. Some of these just create converts and never disciples and wonder why it never makes sense to people. And some of these create disciples, but not really people who understand the love of God. And so therefore aren't really disciples either. So the question I have for you is, what good news did you believe in? Like when you gave your life to Jesus, what good news was it that you were signing up for? And it's okay if we came in not getting it all, but it's not okay to continue to live with part revelation when the whole thing's in front of you today. And some of us, or many of us, I would think, maybe have some gospel unlearnings to do and some gospel relearnings to do. And not that we can achieve it in our time together, but as another prayer point for when you get home or another discussion with your husband or wife or flatmates or whatever it is, would be, which one do you think you're actually buying into? Because when there's a disconnect, when we, when we read this, we need to find the way to reconnect it in the right way. So what is the good news of the kingdom of God as preached by Jesus? It's this. The barrier to human flourishing is you're trying to live as the king of your own kingdom. It's called self-reliance. It's very popular these days, even in the church. And if you would instead live in God-reliance, we could call that trusting faith, you would experience him as the source of life and therefore human flourishing. According to God, the problem is sin, which is self-reliance. Everything that's not of faith, trusting God, is sin. Adam and Eve's issue was to go their own way, to be self-reliant, to think they knew best that sin and the reversal of sin is to become God-reliant. And when Jesus turns up on earth, he's saying this God-reliant life is available to anyone, anywhere, through me. My gospel is come and live in my kingdom. But you can't bring your kingdom with you. You have to surrender your kingdom. That's why Jesus is like, take up your cross. All of these metaphors of dying to self, denial of self. He's like, people were like, hey, wait up, Jesus. He's like, if you want to come after me, you know where I am. I'm not following you. You follow me. I'm not your genie. I'm not the bless me God. I'm not just saving you for eternity. He's like, come follow me. Come be discipled in my way. Come learn a God-reliant life. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And the problem is, is that if you have Christ without a kingdom, you don't have a Christ. 
If you have Jesus without his kingdom, you don't have Jesus because he is the king of a kingdom. And if you have a kingdom without Jesus, you don't have a kingdom. If you're Christ without a kingdom, you don't have a Christ. And if you have a kingdom, if you have a kingdom without a Christ, you don't have a kingdom of God. And if you want to imagine what I'm trying to get at today, because I know it's like maybe a bit like this. Um, Psalm 23 is the picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. If you don't know Psalm 23, let's have a refresher. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, because I'm God-reliant. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Can we just pause here for a second? Because we read this as like, God just leads me. I've never seen a shepherd that only has one sheep. You have a lifestyle block. You're not a shepherd, okay? If you've got one sheep. He's a shepherd. He's got all of us sheep. And he leads us together in the self-reliant life to the food and to the water and to the satisfaction that would restore our soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me and I'm reliant on him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I live in the kingdom. And this is what the kingdom's like. I have everything I need. My soul is refreshed. He has a pace for my life. He orders my life according to the right order that it might glorify him and satisfy me. Even when I go through tough times, they do not overwhelm me and they do not overcome me because he's always with me and I'm just leaning on him. Even amongst all the accusations and all of the things I don't understand, it's like I've got a table prepared for me and it's me and Jesus and I'm eating in his presence. My head is anointed with oil. I'm filled with his spirit. My cup is overflowing. I'm never running dry and it doesn't matter where I go when I follow him. I cannot escape his mercy. I cannot escape his goodness. It's just like wherever I turn up, it keeps turning up. And surely that shall go on forever and ever and ever. But this is not when we buy into the gospel of eternal life or the gospel of bless me or the gospel of social justice warrior or the gospel of I need to impress God. But it's when we come into the gospel of the kingdom of God. And move from being self-reliant to God-reliant. Our 21st century evangelical understanding tends to equate eternal life with going to heaven when I die. For people in Jesus' day, eternal life was roughly equivalent to living a life in God's kingdom that transcends the current regime of life. Within this context, the person desiring to experience life in God's kingdom had to embrace a way of life that is intrinsically tied with loving God 
and loving others. And in this particular story, love for neighbor was expressed by sacrificial action, talking about the Good Samaritan. We have to abandon the other good news. I've said it so many times, Jesus is not the icing on the cake to our lives. We have to, to enter the kingdom, we have to remake our whole lives according to his kingdom. We can't just add Sunday morning and add a bit of prayer during the week. And if you're really hardcore, read a bit of your Bible. We can't just do this and expect to find this thing called kingdom. We have to lay aside our kingdom and all other good news and go, God, by the order of your kingdom, would you, would you help me to build my life, build my thoughts, build my habits, build my no's, what I say no to, build my yeses according to this, not according to the pressure of what other people are doing or the norms of living in our society. Not trying to run my family like the Joneses, but according to the scripture. This is the only way to enter the kingdom. We talk about being Christians all the time, but you know in the Bible, the word Christian was never used from someone professing they were a Christian. It's only used four times and it's always because somebody else looked at their life and said they look like Christ. Little Christs. That's what Christian means, little Christs. And four times people in society looked and didn't see what they believed. They couldn't give a rip about that. They looked at how they lived and they were like, that looks like Jesus. Not because they weren't at a bar. Not because they didn't swear, though that's good. Some of you swear way too much and tend to please God with your language. But because of just their whole life was reordered to God and to people in this loving way. And so this word disciple turns up 265 times in the scripture. Disciple, apprentice. Got nothing to do with what you believe. Got everything to do with how those beliefs affect your life. And so when we keep wondering if we're saved or not, we just keep missing the point. We're supposed to be discipled after Jesus. Jesus said, um, my kingdom is like a pearl of great price. After having bought and sold pearls your whole life, you finally found the pearl you were looking for and you sold all others to take possessions of it. I reckon we've all been looking for good news our whole life. We've all been looking for like, what's truly going to satisfy my soul? What's truly going to make everything wrong in the world right somehow in my life? We've been searching, and some of us, even as Christians, we find ourselves still searching. The pearl of great price is the kingdom of God. And I think God would ask that you would take the leap of faith. And I'm not speaking to just somebody new here or something. I'm talking to all of us, that we would take the leap of faith to sell off the other pearls, the other good newses that we've bought into and be sold out for the pearl of great price that is the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. 
I love this. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's divine goodness informing us in Christ as we follow him. Isn't that the kingdom of God is the realm of God's divine goodness informing us in Christ as we follow him? There's so much more we could say about the kingdom. Right, it's now and not yet and all of these other things. It's in our heart, although it's, it's in our heart, but we can't reduce it to there. It's around us at all times and it's available to us. It's victorious, but it feels anything but victorious. It's not something we can take or build because it already is. Take the pressure off yourself. Just learn to live in it and proclaim it. This is the kingdom of God. But today, many of us need to make a decision to leave the lesser good newses behind and grab hold of the good news that is Jesus and his kingdom. So I wonder if we could close our eyes. And we could humble ourselves before God and say, God, if I haven't given my life to God reliance, to reliance in you, would you reveal that to me, God? God, would you reveal the parts of my life where I'm still self-reliant, where I'm still in charge, where I'm still the boss, where what I say goes and I don't care what you say? Would you reveal those parts to us, God? Those hardened parts that are blocked off to your kingdom? Maybe it's our wallets. Maybe it's our emotions. Maybe it's that thing that somebody did to us and we will not forgive. Maybe it's our future and our security. We'll be taking it in our own hands. Maybe it's our health. Is that you, God? God, whatever it is, would you reveal it to us? Would you give us the courage by your spirit to leave it here today and to enter your kingdom through you relying 100% on you in all areas of our life? God, today we choose to believe in the kingdom of God. We choose to trust it and to live in it. Jesus, we recognize that we can only do that because of your grace and your sacrifice and your saving work in our lives. And so we humbly accept it and trust in it. In Jesus' name, amen.